I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. You know, I, I didn't used to use the camera on my smartphone very much. And then I moved to the Pacific Northwest. And suddenly I could not stop taking photos. I just couldn't stop, right? I took pictures of the mountains. I took pictures of the water. I took pictures of the trees. took pictures of the springtime blossoms. Right? I mean, everything was just so beautiful. I could not stop taking photos. I, I signed up for an Instagram account, if you know what that is, because I had to share these pictures. I just had to find a way to do it. And so I, I did that for a long time. But another new experience for me after I moved up to the Pacific Northwest was, was flying a lot. Uh, not that I'd never flown before, but I, I never had flown very often. Uh, you know, flying in an airplane was something that I had done once every few years when going on some kind of special trip or something like that. But after moving, I, I would fly multiple times a year uh, to go visit family at holidays, uh, to, you know, go visit friends along the way and that kind of thing. And I ended up developing some airplane practices. Uh, some things that I did every time I flew on a plane. Uh, and one of them uh, was when I was getting my ticket to always try to get a window seat. Because I wanted to be able to look out the window so I could take pictures, right? I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, let me show you some of the photos I've taken uh, along the way. Uh, I've taken photos in the daylight, uh, like this. And I don't know if you can quite tell, but there's a couple mountains out there among the... Uh, the clouds, but it's kind of hard to, hard to see that. Uh, I've taken photos in twilight, uh, you know, that sort of glow there on the horizon. Um, I've taken photos in between sort of the golden hour uh, when everything just sort of glows. Uh, a, a while back, I, I got to visit Ireland and, and got to see this sort of patchwork green of the farmland just going on and on. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, I went to California and I uh, was going to a conference there, but I got this picture of the coastline from the plane. And then on the way back, a photo of Mount Rainier from above. Uh, and then, you know, here's Seattle looking down on all those buildings as you're making your way back to SeaTac, right? I, I just love this, you know, getting to sort of see this whole different perspective um, and taking pictures of it. And so these are just a small sampling of, of the many photos I've taken over the time that, that I would fly. But in addition to sky photos, I developed another airline, airplane practice. And that, you know, after snapping some photos in the window during takeoff, uh, I would lower down my tray table when they said it was okay to do that. 
I'd pull out a notebook and a pen and spend some time journaling. Just spend some time writing, looking out the window, thinking about life. And this became a really transformative practice for me. There's just something about being, you know, 30,000 feet in the air, somewhere around that, that gives you a new perspective on life. That helps you, I mean, literally see things from a different point of view. I mean, literally looking down and seeing these buildings that normally are towering over us, I was looking down at them, and they were, they were tiny, right? Suddenly, whatever problems there were in life didn't seem as big. And I was able to just kind of reflect and wonder. And so I would journal uh, as I flew, journal to and fro visiting my family, uh, to and from attending conferences. Uh, I even journaled to and from Caitlin's and my honeymoon. Uh, you know, just spent some time journaling and reflecting. And, and the airplane became kind of a sacred place for me, a place of reflection and, and prayer, a little chapel in the sky, so to speak. It became an opportunity for new and fresh and enlarged perspective. And these airplane experiences that I'm talking about are not unlike the line in the creed that we're looking at this week. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start this morning. We're going to read the story of Jesus' ascension into heaven. Acts chapter 1. So we're going to be considering what exactly this story of the ascension means for us. And I think just like flying in an airplane uh, was a time of transition, you know, from one place to another, this story is a story of transition from one chapter in the story of God to another chapter. And just like looking down from a window seat gives you a whole new perspective on life, I think that the story of the ascension challenges us to get a bigger perspective as well. And so let's read Acts chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for the gift of your word and for this story of your ascension into heaven to be seated at the Father's right hand. God, I pray that as we reflect on this story and what it means for us today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this story of the ascension marks the transition from one chapter in God's story to the next. I mean, it is literally the bridge story for Luke, who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, he, you know, ends his gospel with a short version of this story, Jesus' ascension into heaven, and then he picks right back up where he left off in the book of Acts, as we just read. This is the story that turns the page and sets the stage for all that is to come. And we actually see this transition in the creed as well. So far, as we've been considering the creed, it's been telling the story of Jesus in the past tense, right? Just take a look. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. But then all of a sudden, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So, so this story is incredibly important. The story of Jesus' ascension tells us what Jesus is doing right now. This is what Jesus is up to right now, and it sets the stage for everything that is to come. All right, here's the rest of the creed, right? In the story that we just read, uh, Jesus explicitly says that he is making way for the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and then, you know, it, there's this sense in which Jesus is also in the ascension taking his place, his, his position as the head of his body, which is the church, right? And, and these are things that are, that are coming up uh, in, in the coming weeks, right? It's sort of setting the stage for all that is to come. And this is exactly what happens in the book of Acts as well, right? He's, he's making way for the coming of the Spirit. He's taking his place as the head of the church. And the, the rest of the book of Acts is all about 
the activity of the Holy Spirit and the mission of the church. And all of this flows out of what Jesus is doing right now. And this is, I think, the first way that the ascension actually gives us a bigger perspective. It enlarges our perspective. I want to ask, did any of you ever wear those WWJD bracelets? Any of you ever have those or see those? They were, they were a big deal back in the 90s, all right? Uh, and the letters stand for what would Jesus do, right? What, what would Jesus do? And the purpose of the bracelets were to be a reminder to be like Christ in all that we do, right? And many of us would do very well to look back on the life and the teachings of Jesus and ask this question. In our current circumstances, what would Jesus do? Right? How, how can I be like Jesus? It's a great question. But the ascension gives us, I think, a different question to ask. Not what would Jesus do, but what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? And I think this question is even better than the other one. You see, the first question is good, uh, but if we leave it at what would Jesus do, well, then Jesus basically just remains some historical figure who we can read about, who was a good teacher or a good example, but that's all. The question, what is Jesus doing, says much more than that. Right? This, this question declares that, hey, Jesus is not just a good example or teacher, not just some historical figure in the past. He is alive now. He's not just some good person to pay attention to. He is God who lives and reigns. Jesus is alive and active right now. He is risen Right, he's risen indeed. This is what we have just declared this past week. So what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing right now? Well, like I said, the, the ascension made way for the activity of the Holy Spirit and the mission of the church. And the ascension was a monumental event for the early church. If you had to guess... What Old Testament passage would you say is most often quoted in the New Testament? Isaiah, that's a good guess. You know, some, those, all those Christological passages, the suffering servant. Yeah, that could be possible. Maybe the Ten Commandments, right? Who knows? You know, those are, those are pretty big. Maybe everyone's favorite, Psalm 23, right? Which surprisingly is not quoted at all in the New Testament. The, believe it or not, the scripture, the Old Testament passage that is most often quoted in the New Testament is the psalm that we read together this morning. Psalm 110. It was the, the top of the billboard charts for the New Testament church, right? They sang it all the time was their favorite song, Psalm 110, which begins, The Lord says to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand. And it goes on to expound on the rule and the reign of God's Messiah. The early church read this psalm as referring to the rule and the reign of Jesus. This psalm, it's quoted in Matthew and Mark and Luke multiple times. It's quoted in several of Paul's letters. It's quoted in 1 Peter. It's quoted in Revelation. And it's referred to extensively in the book of Hebrews. Much of the book of Hebrews is kind of an exposition of Psalm 110. Uh, he, he just digs into that. I, I, you know, some, some have actually said that the book of Hebrews may have been a sermon. I wonder if they sang it, and then he got up and said, hey, let me tell you about what we just sang, right? Maybe that's what happened with the book of Hebrews. I don't know. But one of the curious lines that the author of Hebrews picks up is the fourth verse of Psalm 110, which we just all read together. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek? Right? I, I mean, this, this refers to sort of an obscure story in Genesis 14, where Abraham, who's actually just known as Abram at the time, has a meeting with some of, some of the regional rulers. Uh, and one of them that he meets with is a guy named Melchizedek. And when Melchizedek approaches Abram, he gives him some bread and some wine, and he blesses him. Now, does that sound like anyone else to you? Uh, what's unique about Melchizedek is that he is described as a king and also a priest. He's called King Melchizedek, priest of God Most High, the creator of heavens and earth. Which means that this guy is not only a ruler over his people, a king, but he also is one who prays for his people, a priest. He is both king and priest. And I think this is what the author of Hebrews is getting at. Whenever he quotes this line from Psalm 110. And I think this is ultimately what the ascension is all about. So what is Jesus doing right now? Well, Jesus is king over all. He is ruling over all things. This is what Jesus is doing right now. And Jesus is also the great high priest who is interceding at the right hand of the Father right now. This is what Jesus is doing. And so for, for the rest of, of this time together, I want to explore each of these a little bit. Jesus as king who rules over all. And Jesus as priest who intercedes for his people. And see how these continue to enlarge our perspective. What is Jesus doing right now? So first, the ascension shows us that Jesus is king. And this enlarges our perspective of God's kingdom. The ascension gives us a much bigger perspective on the kingdom of God. Uh, look back down at Acts chapter 1 if you're still there. We see this very thing happen with Jesus' disciples. 
In verse 6, they ask Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answers their question by ascending. That's basically his answer to their question, right? Essentially, Jesus says to them, you're thinking way too small. You're thinking way too small. Even after all of his teaching about the kingdom of God, even after his death and his resurrection, the disciples still seem to think that this kingdom thing is ultimately a political kingdom for the nation of Israel. That's what they still have in their minds. And so they say, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answers in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven. The kingdom of God is not a political entity for one nation. That's not what this is about. It is a universal entity for the ends of the earth. It, It spans all things and everyone The ascension invites us to to get a bird's eye view of God's kingdom. Bigger than that, a God's eye view of God's kingdom. A kingdom that is over all. This is the very point that Paul makes in Ephesians 1. Whenever This is one of those passages that refers back to Psalm 110. In Ephesians 1, have it on the screen if you want to follow along. Paul writes, God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. There's that Psalm 110, right? Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. He has put all things under his feet. He has made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is king over all, over everything. Not just one nation, not even just earth. The heavenly places, this age and the age to come. All things are under his feet. He fills all in all. God's kingdom is cosmic in scope. This is what Jesus is doing right now. This enlarges our perspective. Now, we don't generally make the mistake of the disciples by shrinking God's kingdom down to one earthly nation. In some ways, what we have often done is actually worse than that. Because I think in many ways, we've often brought God's kingdom all the way down to the individual, to the individual level, 
right? It's not uncommon to hear talk about Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Or to hear about inviting Jesus into my heart. And in this sense, our spiritual life ends up being reduced to just some sort of a me and Jesus moment. And that's it. Now, I want to say there's nothing wrong with these ideas. Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus is king of your heart. Absolutely. That me and Jesus' moments are, are beautiful and, and precious and, and wonderful. But I just want to say, if that is all, if that's it, it is much too small of a vision of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is not just about me and Jesus. It encompasses everything. Everything. Participating in the kingdom of God, it's not just about having quiet time in the morning or evening. It's not just about going to church. When you go to work, you are participating in the kingdom of God. When you wash the dishes, you are participating in the kingdom of God. When you take out the trash, you are participating in the kingdom of God. When you pick up the phone to call someone, you are participating in the kingdom of God. When you sit down to watch a movie, you're participating in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom encompasses all things. By ascending into heaven, Jesus made sure that our spiritual life was not just me and Jesus. No longer can we do what the disciples James and John did and bicker about which one of us is going to get to sit on Jesus' right and his left. We can't have that argument anymore because Jesus has ascended. And so instead of arguing about some small-minded view of the kingdom of God— we must band together with fellow followers and seek his kingdom and community. Because of the ascension, God's kingdom is known and experienced together. Known and experienced as a community. That's what the rest of the book of Acts is all about. The community of the church and the expansion of God's kingdom. We need each other in order to see God and experience him. We need each other. This is what the ascension shows us. It's not just me and Jesus, not just a personal thing. It's much more than that. This is one way that the kingdom, that the ascension expands, enlarges our perspective. So what is Jesus doing right now? Well, he is ruling and reigning over all things as king. But what else is he doing right now? Well, he is also praying. 
and interceding for his people as a great high priest. This image of the ascension, you know, his, his going up and, and then being sort of caught in the clouds is not unlike what would have been experienced in the temple. The, the high priest, once a year, would venture behind the curtain, behind the veil, into the holy of holies, the very presence of God. Right? And he would go there, the, the high priest would go into the holy of holies to intercede for the people of God, to make atonement and, and cleansing for the people of God. And this is precisely what, what Jesus has done. He has, he has ascended to the holy place, to the holy of holies, the very presence of God. And as he is there, he is interceding for his people. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. At God's right hand, Jesus intercedes like a great high priest for his people. And this affects, I think, the way that we also pray. The other day, uh, it was in the morning. Uh, I had woken up. Caitlin had just woken up, uh, and neither one of us had had coffee yet. And we were just about to have breakfast, and we realized we're out of eggs, and we're also out of salt. Who runs out of salt, right? I mean, you get a thing of salt, and it lasts for 10 years. Somehow, we were out of salt. And so I needed to go to the store to get some eggs, get some salt and stuff. I thought it'd be a really quick trip. So I headed across the street to the Safeway that's really close to us, grabbed some eggs, grabbed some other stuff, and went to the salt section. There were six different kinds of salt. I didn't know there were that many different kinds of salt, but there were. And so I'm like, all right, should, what, which one should I get? I don't know. I'm just going to text Caitlin and see if it matters. Uh, you know, there's, there's all these, so you know, does she have a preference? Is there anything? So I send her a text message, wait around a while, don't hear anything. Tried to call her. The call doesn't go through. Don't hear anything. Uh, oh, what do I do, right? It turns out there's just terrible reception in Safeway, right? And so I could not get a hold of her. Finally, I, you know, worked my way down to a different aisle, was able to hear back from her. You know, she's like, just get the normal salt. It's fine. And so I did and went home. That was way more complicated than it needed to be, right? What, what should have been a really quick trip to the store uh, turned into ages and ages. And all of this while we haven't had breakfast or coffee or anything yet, right? We're like not in our right minds. But the, the reception didn't work, and that, that made this so complicated. The ascension of Christ means that our calls to God don't get dropped. We have good reception with God. He is interceding for us. He hears our prayers. He knows our hearts. And a lot of times, prayer can be just as frustrating as trying to sort through six different kinds of salt. But God hears us. He hears our prayers. He calls us to him.
You see, the ascension of Christ is not his absence. I think a lot of times we, we can sort of read the story and think, oh, Jesus is gone now. The ascension is not Jesus going from being present to being absent. The ascension is Jesus going from being present to being omnipresent. He is no longer in one place. He is in all places. Jesus reigns over all. He is with us to the end. Those are his words. Jesus ascended in order to send the Spirit of God to fill us so that he could be present, not just in one place, but in all places and with all people. When we pray, our prayers are heard because Jesus prays with us. He is the great high priest who has gone before us into the holy place, and that holy place is a place we can go to because of him. He is our great high priest. You see, the ascension changes our perspective by making the kingdom of God so much bigger than we would have ever imagined it to be. But it also changes our perspective by making any problems that we would ever face smaller than we ever felt like they were. Just like those tiny buildings looking down on over Seattle. Oh, that's cute little building blocks. This is what the ascension does. It makes the kingdom of God bigger than we could ever imagine, and it makes our own problems smaller than we ever felt. Because Jesus is the great high priest who's gone before us. I mentioned that the book of Hebrews talks about this over and over and over again. There's one more passage I want to share with you. Hebrews chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who, in every respect, has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus has gone before us. He is interceding for us right now. This changes the way that we pray. We can pray with boldness. We can pray knowing that our prayers are heard. We can pray knowing that no weakness that we have experienced is too much. Because we have a high priest who's been tested in the very same way. And he sits at God's right hand and is praying for us even now. So, what is Jesus doing? He's reigning over all things. The kingdom of God is cosmic. And what is he doing as he reigns? He is interceding. And making sure that 
We are heard. We are known. We can enter God's presence. We can know the living God. We can rest in him. And so I, I want to leave you guys with a challenge this week, as I've often done. This changes our view of God's kingdom, and it changes our approach to prayer. And there, there are just two things that I want to challenge you in this week. Uh, on the one hand, private prayer, which leads to transformation. Uh, the kingdom of God is not just a personal me and Jesus moment, but it's not less than that. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you to come before the throne of God, pour out your heart, find mercy and grace in your time of need. As we devote ourselves to prayer, we are transformed. Private prayer that leads to transformation. But there's more than that. And this is where things might get a little scary. I want to encourage you to not only private prayer that leads to transformation, but also public prayer that leads to invitation. When you're talking with someone this week, what would it be like in the midst of that conversation to say, hey, can I pray for you? And just create an invitation in that moment to not just go before God solo on your own, but to bring other people with you. Hey, how can I pray for you? You know, talk about stuff like evangelism and stuff. That gets really scary and really weird and, and all kinds of stuff. You know, what am I supposed to say? What I have found is that most people are not put off by being asked if you can pray for them. Most people love that. Even if they're not sure what they think about God, sure, you can pray for me. What would it be like to not just have private prayer and personal transformation, but to reach for public prayer and invitation? It's my challenge to you this week. We have a king who reigns over all things. Much greater than just these moments we share in church much greater than just the moments we spend in personal devotion. He reigns over all. We have a high priest who is interceding for us even now. And so let us intercede for others as well. Amen.